We're in a series right now, just simply titled The Blessed Home. And I want you to know that God wants you to have a blessed home. Amen. If we build our homes on the Word of God, they will be blessed. I think that we ought to be so blessed that others around us can see that there's something different, that God has truly favored us and poured His blessings into our life. I think a lot of Christian homes is not much different than those of unbelievers just for the simple reason that they don't really obey the Word of God. So I want to remind you of this verse from last week, James chapter 1 and verse 22, be doers of the Word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. There's so many that fall into that exception, deception. They think that somehow they are an exception to the Word of God, that somehow the Scripture doesn't apply to them. But we need to be doers of the Word, and when we are, then it brings the blessing of God on our lives and our homes. Verse 25 of that chapter, he says, But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and it's not a forgetful here, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. Now, James here calls the Word of God the perfect law of liberty. It is the law that brings freedom. See, a lot of people have the attitude that the Word of God just binds us up and have to do this and can't do that. It, it, listen, it brings freedom, not bondage. It is when we really live by the Word of God, it'll free you up. I want you to understand, it will free up your relationship with your spouse. It'll free up your home when you really live by the Word of God. It brings freedom. You know, Jesus said this in John 8, 31 and 32, if you abide in my word, then you're my disciples. Indeed, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. The truth of God's word frees us up. Now back to James 1, 25, he says, this man will be blessed in what he does. Whatever you're doing. You see, when you live by the word of God, your finances are blessed. I mean... How you do life is blessed when you live by the Word of God. And that certainly includes our marriage and our home. When we live by the Word of God, he says we will be blessed. So today I want to share truth from God's Word about the biblical model for marriage. We have to know what the Word of God says, and then we have to live it out in our lives. And that's what brings the blessing of God on our homes. I want to tell you this morning that marriage was God's idea, and I think it was a great idea. But we need to do it God's way because God can make a marriage great. Now listen, a lot of the world is questioning whether or not marriage is such a good idea. That's because the world's way doesn't work. It's been proven over and over and over again. God's way works. The world's way doesn't work. They don't even know which end is up. They don't have a clue when it comes to marriage. We need to look to the Word of God instead of the attitudes and the philosophies of the day. In this generation, we have certainly seen the decline and the demise of the institution of marriage. And now for the first time ever in our country, listen, there are more single adults than married adults. See, that's not counting children and teenagers. There are more single adults than married adults. Now, I want to say this very clearly. There is nothing wrong with being single. In fact, Jesus talked about being single as a gift. And Paul said, being single, that he wished that all people were like he was. But not everybody has that gift. And in fact, a lot of those who are single hope to get married someday. But here's the thing. All of us need to have a biblical perspective and understanding of what a marriage is supposed to be. Whether you intend on getting married someday or not, or if you're married right now, or you, maybe you know, you're one of those that say, I'm never getting married. I'm just telling you, we all need to have a biblical perspective of what a marriage is supposed to be. 
We need to hold to the truth of God's Word. So much confusion and deception in the area of marriage. I'm glad there's a cure for confusion and deception. It's truth. And Jesus says God's Word is truth. You know, the world says, what is truth? Those are the words that Pilate said to Jesus before he had him crucified. And those are the words that people say when they don't want to receive truth. Those are the words that people say when they don't want to do what's right. Well, what is truth? You know, it's all the rage right now. Everybody has their own version of truth. You know, two plus two equals five. That's your version of truth. You can just change reality however you want to. You know, we used to have a word for that, crazy. Just because you say two plus two equals five don't make it true. That's crazy. You can't change truth. And here's the source of truth. Jesus said it's the word of God. And it does not change. No matter what this crazy mixed up culture says, God's word will stand. We got, listen church, amen. We got to hold to the truth of Scripture. This world needs us to hold to the truth of Scripture in this area. We got to be salt and light in this world. We can't just kind of go along with it and try to, you know, let's keep quiet about what we... No, we need to stand firm and be bold that we believe what the Bible says about marriage and men and women and relationships. One of the biggest problems for marriages in our society today is the confusion over the roles of the husband and wives in the marriage relationships. I want you to understand, God is not the author of confusion. He is a God of order and peace, and he has laid this out for us in his word. To see the biblical model for marriage, we just need to start at the very beginning in Genesis 1.27. It says, so God created man in his own image, and the image of God he created him. Male and female, he created them. He created them male and female. Male and female. That's it. That's it. Male and female. In Genesis 2.18, the Lord said it's not good for man to be alone, and he created a helpmate for him. He didn't create another man. That wouldn't have been any help. That wouldn't work. That would be inadequate. As one sister put it, two wrongs don't make a right. God knows what he's doing. He created the perfect helpmate for man. He created a male and female. Thank God. I'm so glad. This crazy mixed-up world would act like there's no difference between men and women. I'm so glad there's a difference. I love the difference. I'm just saying. I love the way God did it. He created a male and female, and that is wonderful, and we need to not go along with this crazy mixed-up world. You talk about confused. They are so messed up. In fact, here's how messed up they are. They think that God messed up. You know, some people, they, they think that, well, I'm a man, but I, was, I should have been a woman, or I'm a woman, I should have been a man. They think that God messed up when he made them. That's messed up. God doesn't make mistakes. But the confusion, the deception of this world is destroying a lot of people's lives. Such heartache and so much terrible problems in so many families because of these kinds of deceptions. There's a reason that we call them the opposite sex. Now, this is really weird. You know, people talk about the opposite sex, and then they say, but, you know, we're the same. What is it you don't understand about opposite? You know, hot, cold, day, night, up, down, opposite, man, woman, opposite sex. And it is the differences that we love, that we celebrate. 
and we need to. Not try to make them the same and go along with the attitude of the culture. Men and women are different. It is amazing to me how hard people work at trying to be politically correct about this when we know there's a difference. Even nature itself teaches you there's a difference between male and female. They're so confused. And I'm telling you, that confusion has just caused so much trouble in the marriage relationship about the role of a husband and wife in their relationship. Even a lot of modern Bible translations are trying to blur the lines between male and female, taking out a lot of gender-specific language in regard to people, and some even taking out gender-specific language in regard to the Lord. And I want you to know something. The Bible says that those people will be held accountable for changing the Word of God. And when you've got carnal men who study the Bible and then going to translate it and in a way that they're interpreting it and changing the meaning of it, I'm telling you, you've got to be careful about which translation you read. It matters. But oh, what deception there is at work in this generation about gender, but also about the marriage relationship. He created them male and female. Guys, there are things that girls can do that you are never going to be able to do. You know what? It's politically correct to say that. It's okay to say that. You're not equipped to nurse a baby, much less have one. And I know that some women are going to have a really hard time with this, but it is because of the influence of culture. Listen, girls, there are things that you can do that you will ne- that you can't do that guys can do, or at least you will never be able to do as well as a man can do. I know that's not politically correct. I know y'all got quiet on me, ladies. 1980, I'm sitting in a class at college, a history class, and there's a Vietnam vet there at the front of the class, and this lady starts arguing with him somehow. I don't know how it began, but she's arguing with him. She's telling him, I can do anything that any man can do. And I want you to know that everybody in that class took one look at her and thought, no. But this Vietnam vet, he, he looks at her and he says, well, if I was injured in battle, there's no woman going to pick me up and carry me out. What y'all get so quiet for Now, ladies, this is not just about physical differences, but I am going to take this just a little farther. I know I'm I'm married to this delicate little flower. I get that. I know. Some years ago, I'm pouring this concrete walkway and setting rocks in it and working hard just like a dog, you know, out there in the sun. Here she comes, my little helpmate. She brings me a glass of water. She's so sweet. But she didn't even offer to go get me another sack of concrete. Now, I know some women, you know, you're strong, you work out, you lift heavy weights, you know, you can whoop a lot of them. I get all that. I understand. I know. But just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. I know a little something about this from personal experience watching my mother. My mother, she'd grab a 70-pound bale of hay, take off with it, go to feed the cows. And you could say, Mom, Mom, let me get that. Let me get that. You take it away from her. And before you get to the cows, she's already getting another one. She was strong, I'm telling you. But I also tell you this. Later in life, she had a whole lot of surgeries. And the doctors told her that this is a result of the damage that you did doing things that you shouldn't have been doing. And I'm not saying that women can't do hard work and can't do physical things and and that there aren't strong women. There certainly are. I'm just telling you there's a difference. There is a difference between men and women. And it's not just about physical things. There are so many differences mentally. We think different. The world even acknowledges this. Was that men are from Mars? Or... <laughs> they know what I'm talking about. We feel different. Our emotions are different. 
the way we view things and think about. It's just different. Men and women are not the same. I mean, when, when there's, you hear a noise in your house at night, you know, it could be something. You think, is that somebody in my house? And the guy rolls out of bed, and here he goes. Why? Why is it the guy that has to go? Because he's the most expendable. I mean, I just got to wonder, are there men who hear a noise in the house and, you know, they kind of kick or say, go see what that is? I hope not. You see, but we laugh because we know what's right. We know the way it's supposed to be. We know there's a difference. Okay. Some woman's thinking, no, I'm rolling out with my 45 and they better run. I know, I know. But I'm talking, let's see, we know these things. We understand that there is a difference. So many things that women are good at that men are not, besides the obvious physical differences. I mean, ladies, please excuse my example here. I'm not after you. I'm after the men on this deal. But see, how many of you guys can hold the baby, an infant, on your hip and talk on the phone and cook dinner and handle a toddler running around all without breaking a sweat? I mean, I can multitask, but... Mm-hmm. That's just a little beyond me. I could try, but I'm going to tell you, I'll be sweating like a pig. Just See, there's lots of things that girls are better at, and there's a few things that guys are better at, but hear this. It's not really about the strengths and weaknesses or comparisons. It's about the fact that there's a difference And instead of downplaying the differences, we ought to be celebrating the differences. In a gender-confused world, this truth remains. He created the male and female. Men should be men, and women should be women. Society says that, you know, you men, you need to get in touch with your feminine side. i got to tell you, as being honest and candid and open as I possibly can, I don't even know what that means. I don't have a feminine side. Every single fiber cell of my being is a man. Listen to me. (laughs) Encoded into the DNA of every cell of your body, it tells whether or not you are a man or a woman. You can pull a hair out and leave it somewhere, and they can pick that hair up, and scientists can determine, is this a man or a woman? Every skin cell tells whether or not you are a man or a woman. And you can have a sex change, you can take hormones or suppress hormones, and it will not change. Every cell in your body says you're either a man or a woman because he created a male and female. And that's truth. And people would say whatever they want and believe whatever they want. But that's truth. You say, I thought we were talking about marriage. We need to understand this in the marriage relationship that there's a difference between men and women. And we celebrate the differences. Don't downplay them. We don't think alike. We don't feel the same. And we don't look alike. I mean, you've got to try real hard to look alike. I don't understand why culture is always trying to make us look the same. More and more, you want, want people to, women to look less feminine and men to look more. And, ew. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's funny in a movie, dude looked like a lady, but it's wrong. It's wrong. And I, I, know, I, I know I'm kind of making jokes, but this, this stuff is laughable. That's right. The crazy stuff that's going on in our world right now. Right. Now, I want you to understand this. Men and women are different, and they're supposed to look different. Deuteronomy 22 and 5 says, A woman shall not wear anything that pertains to a man, nor shall a man put on a woman's garment, for all who do so are an abomination to the Lord our God. 
This is a spiritual truth. Doesn't matter if it fits in with our culture or not. We need to hold to the word of God. He says that it is an abomination unto the Lord. Now, he's not talking about women wearing pants. He's talking about a woman looking like a woman. And a man looking like a man. He says it's an abomination for a man to try to look like a woman or a woman to try to look like a man. God hates it. You know why? Because he created the male and female. Men and women are different. And when we understand that, then we can understand their roles are different in the marriage relationship. As long as we go along with that deception that men and women are the same, we're never really going to be able to follow the biblical model for marriage. 1 Peter 3, 7. Husbands, likewise dwell with them with understanding. Now, I've heard some really long teaching about understanding your wife. Well, you're going to be working on that for the rest of your life, okay? But he's simply saying that we need to understand how to treat our wives. And then he tells us how to treat our wife. He says, giving honor to the wife. Husbands, we're supposed to honor our wife. We give them special treatment. We elevate her, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel. What? This is where a whole lot of ladies just want to check out. Stay with me. Because I'm telling you, we, when you really understand this passage, it is a blessing to a wife. It is not saying that she is lesser. It is not saying that she is inferior in any way. We just read, giving honor to the wife. Now, I'm going to come back to that in a minute. But as we go on, he says, and as being heirs together of the grace of life. You see, husband and wife are both heirs together. They're joint heirs with Jesus Christ. We're different, but we're equal. Heirs together. We're in this together. That your prayers may not be hindered. See, when you don't get the husband and wife relationship right, it can hinder your prayers. I don't want my prayers hindered. How's that happen? Well, you know, first of all, if you've got unforgiveness in your heart, it hinders your prayers. You know, if you're all mad and bent out of shape, the Bible says don't let the sun go down on your wrath. You need to get it right. You, you, you can't pray right. You can't be effective in your prayer when you're all upset and mad and bent out of shape. And most of all, your prayers are going to be hindered when you are displeasing the Lord. Because you want to talk to him about this little thing that happened at work. He wants to talk to you about how you're treating your spouse. And until you deal with that, he's not going to be listening to you. I didn't make this stuff up. He said, unless your prayers, so that your prayers won't be hindered. I think there's a whole lot of families, their prayers are being hindered because... Husband and wife need to get it right. Need to get the strife out. Scripture refers to the wife as the weaker vessel. And on the onset of that, it just violates every feminist idea and attitude, but only because... So many don't really understand the meaning of the phrase, the weaker vessel. Hear me now. Weaker vessel. It's a metaphor. It's an illustration. The Bible is full of metaphors and illustrations. The weaker vessel. But notice this, or remember this. this the weaker vessel he's, he's talking about here is supposed to be honored. Now, when it says vessel here... It's talking about, you know, something, a container of some type. The NIV says weaker partner. And I want you to know that that is a horrible translation. They have interpreted that to be partner. And that, you know, that just comes off as the weaker person. That's not what it's talking about here. It's not talking about inferior the word in the Greek text, the original text, is vessel. 
And you shouldn't change it to partner or person. It's a vessel. It's a metaphor. It's an illustration. Giving special honor. Who do you give special honor to? The weaker person? The unimportant person? No. You give special honor to somebody who's important. You elevate your wife. Husbands, this is how you treat your wife. You give special honor to her as this special vessel. You elevate her. And you treat her with special care. This is a vessel that you can set on the dining room table. And it has special uses. You don't let the kids take it out in the backyard and play with it. Right? right? You don't take this and go slop the pigs. Listen, when you're going to slop the pigs, here you go. You want to go out in the yard and dig in the dirt and do some work. Here, here, you don't take that, you take this. Gentlemen, have you identified yet? We are the old bucket. She is something special. And you've got to treat her special. That's what it's talking about here. It is not putting a woman down and saying she's inferior, but rather that she is to be shown, what does it say, special honor. That's the way it's supposed to be. And I'll tell you, every man needs to know that that's the way you're supposed to treat your wife. With special honor, you elevate her, you treat her with special care and respect. Now, how many of you ladies would like to be treated as special? I just get your hand up, or your husband gonna treat you like an old shoe. <laughs> Every woman wants to be treated special. Amen. Most men know how to treat a girl like a princess when they're dating. Then they get married, and Prince Charming turns back into a toad. <laughs> you get married, and you treat her like the queen of your house. Amen. Because she is. That's who she is. You treat her with special honor. Now, we need to understand that men and women are different. We have different roles in the home. That's the way the Lord designed us. That's the way he designed it to work in the home. So we're going to go to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to go to verses 22 through 29. And we're going to work our way through this. And... I just want to say these principles are given several times in Scripture. And I say that because it is amazing to me how much preachers are trying to water this down and change it and make it fit with the culture of the day. When what we need to do is hold to the truths of the Word of God and not change it. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, what preachers have done with this is they basically just kind of watered it down to the point that when there is a decision in the home that has to be made, and listen, and there's a disagreement, the husband and wife each have a vote, and so if we disagree, we've got to get little Johnny to come in and cast the deciding vote. Brilliant! But the way it works in most homes, I'm talking about people that don't follow the biblical pattern, the way it works in most homes is whoever has the most forceful, demanding personality is going to be the head and make the decisions in their home. Whether it's the man or the woman, that person that says, well, this is the way it's going to be. They're going to get their way. They're going to be the head of the house. That's not God's way. And it doesn't work. It just ends in trouble and strife and conflict. Two people both trying to have their way. I'm not going to back away from the truth of God's Word because truth sets free. And when we live our lives according to the Word of God, I'm telling you, it brings the blessing of God on our lives and on our home. And I know there are Bible-believing Christians who want the blessings of God on their marriage. Ladies, do not disregard this passage of Scripture, at least not until we're done with it today, okay? (laughs) Just stay with me, and I, I think you're going to see that this is a blessing 
Let's read on, verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church. You see, people want to argue about submission. Well, how are you going to argue about this? The husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. And he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Just as the church is under Christ's authority, the wife is to be under her husband's authority. Let's read on from verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. I want to tell you, if we really follow this truth and understand this truth, this is even a greater challenge. For a man to love his wife the way that Christ loves the church and gave himself for her. Now, reading on from verse 26, he's talking about the church here, but remember he's talking about husband and wives and Christ and the church. He goes on, he says, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. For he who loves his wife loves himself. No one ever hated his own flesh, but he nourishes and he cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. See, this passage, I know that for a lot of people, it just seems to cause more problems and do more harm than good. But that's only because of the misconceptions about this passage and because of the lack of understanding about submission. Most people in our culture have never even seen a truly biblical marriage. They've seen husbands who try to rule over their house like some kind of dictator or tyrant. And they've seen wives who have had to step into that leadership role and be the head of their house, either because of an irresponsible husband or just because they had the stronger personality and so they're going to be the head. But church... There is a biblical model here of Jesus and his church. And it is the biblical model for a husband and a wife. There's a desperate need for this passage to be taught. And I I want you to understand, the scripture is our source of truth. It It shows us how this is supposed to work. Now... When it comes to submission, yes, there, there are, have been selfish, immature, ungodly, carnal men who have tried to use this passage as a way to lord it over their wives and make them do whatever they want. Some have even used it as, as an excuse to abuse their wife. And, and obviously, listen, carnal people are never going to get this right. People that are insincere in living for God are never going to get this right. This only works for people who are true followers of Jesus and are truly committed to God. But if that's the case, this works. Sure, a man can try to twist the scripture and abuse it. So can a woman. But when we're sincere and we truly are seeking to do what God wants us to do, this works. Let's finish the passage, go on from verse 30. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. And again, he makes the comparison of Christ and the church and husband and wife. Verse 33 Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Christ and the church are the biblical model. Husbands are to love their wives as Christ loves the church. Wives are to submit to their own husbands to come under his authority just as the church does to Christ. That does not mean that she is his slave, his doormat, or inferior to him in any way. 
It simply means that there's a different role for the husband and the wife. They're not the same. Back to verse 24, he says, Just as, as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Wives are supposed to be subject to their husbands in everything. But the marriage relationship is built on love and honor. Husbands, nowhere does the Bible teach or say that you are to order your wife around. Nowhere does it say that you can make your wife do what you want. Nowhere does it tell a husband to make his wife submit. It doesn't say those things. What it does say is that you are to love your, your wife as Christ loved the church. Wow. You see, we lead by being willing to lay our lives down. We lead by loving. We lead by serving. It's not, you know, I'm the head of my house and that means that I get to have my way. Oh, no, no, no. Let me tell you, I'm the head of my house, and that means that I get to lay down my life. It's not what I want. This is what Jesus did for the church. He prayed in the garden. He said, if there's any way, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And I want you to understand that if a man is going to love his wife the way Christ loves the church, he's not going to do what he wants. He's going to do what God wants. He's going to say, not what I want. He's going to say no to himself and instead say yes to what God wants and lead his family in the right way. That's loving your wife as Christ loves the church. One man heard a sermon on marriage the sermon was called, the title was Love is an Act of the Will. And he learned that love was not just a feeling, but it was a choice to be unselfish and to love even when it was difficult. He and his wife were going on vacation, and so he decided that for this two-week vacation, he was going to try to really live this out. He made a commitment that he was going to love his wife first and be unselfish and for this two weeks and so they go on this trip he drove a long ways and they get to where they're going and as they they go inside the hotel their accommodations you know he's ready to sit down and relax for a while and the wife says hey let's go for a walk on the beach and he almost said no I'm too tired but then he remembered his commitment it's amazing how the Holy Spirit will do that stuff to you remind you right he remembered his commitment, and he thought, well, he, he, I guess I should do this. And so he gets up, and they go for a walk. And, you know, all throughout the two weeks, there were so many things where she wanted to do this, he wanted, but he didn't want to, or he wanted to do something else. But he just decided that this two weeks, he was going to be unselfish and just love her that way. He even went to the Shell Museum. Wow, that's a love. That's too far, sweetheart, in the sand. No shell museums. But by the end of the two weeks, he had seen so much change in his marriage, he decided that when they got home, he was just going to continue to be that way with his wife. And she came to him on the last day, and she looked really upset, and he said, what's wrong, what's wrong? She said, well, I just want to know, do you know something that I don't know? You know, I had that doctor's appointment, a checkup, several weeks ago, and did he call you? Am I dying? <laughs> he said, no, honey, you're not dying. I'm just starting to live. And he realized how that really loving his wife the way that he was supposed to change their relationship. And she just flourished in that. I just want you to understand that when we do God, things God's way, it is not. It is not bondage. It is freeing. It, it brings blessing on your home. See, some guys think being the head of their house, they sit in their recliner and bark orders. No, it means you get up out of the recliner and you lay down your life. That's right. 
It doesn't mean that you exercise authority over them. Listen to what Jesus says about authority. In Mark 10, 42 and 43, Jesus called them to himself and he said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. No husband is supposed to lord it over his wife. I'm the one in charge. You do what I say. That's garbage. That's not in the Bible. That's not the way it works. Your job is to love your wife the way Christ loves the church. It's your wife's job to submit herself to you and to come under your authority. It's, It's amazing how people get it all backwards. But Jesus makes it clear that if we want to be a leader, we have to serve. That's how you serve. You see, our old, how you lead, our old carnal nature wants to say, well, I'm the leader. That means I get to have my way. I get to do what I want. Oh, no. If you're really the leader, then you choose to serve. Jesus, our master, washed the feet of the disciples. And he said, if I and your, your Lord and master have washed your feet, you go and do likewise. And I don't know about you, but if i got to wash some feet, uh, i put my wife first. <laughs> now, seriously, though, if we're going to serve anybody, why is it that a lot of times married people treat strangers better than they do their spouse? If you're going to serve anybody, let it be your spouse. Right. That's where you start, that you're going to serve them. Amen. What a different way to do marriage than what the world thinks of. How do you lead? Serving. Loving. Being willing to lay down your life. I know that some wives don't want their husbands to lead in spiritual matters simply because their husband hasn't been a spiritual leader, but every spiritual woman wants a man who will say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Every spiritual woman wants a man that will say, we are going to church as a family. They want a man who will say, let's pray. Oh, you see, you can lead without exercising authority. The ladies, you got to help us with this because I want to tell you that There are a lot of men that want to lead, but because of the influence of culture, they've been criticized. They need encouragement to lead. But I'm convinced, gentlemen, that if we truly love our wives as Christ loved the church, submission is not really that difficult. Here's the thing. The world's way... In a bad marriage, both people push to have what they want. In a good marriage, the husband doesn't just pursue what he wants, but he does what is best for his wife and children. The way he does that is he tries to do what God wants. In a good marriage, the wife doesn't just pursue what she wants. Instead, she submits herself to her husband's leadership. That's the biblical model for marriage. Jesus loving the church and giving himself for it, and the church submitting to Christ, a wife submitting to her husband. Verse 33 of that chapter, one more time. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. See, a lot of families, they get into this negative cycle where, you know, the husband has this attitude, well, if my wife would submit to me, then I, it would be easier for me to love her and treat her better. And you think that your wife is your problem. No. If she's not submitting to you, that's her problem. Your problem is that you need to love your wife as Christ loves the church. Same for for the ladies. A lot of ladies think, well, if my husband loved me like that, I, I, I could submit to him. You think your husband is your problem. You need to obey the word of God. You start loving, or you start submitting to your husband, and I want to tell you, God can move and work in that situation. But they get this negative cycle where they both think that the other one needs to change, 
how about, how about we just say, you know what, I'm not an exception to God's Word. I'm going to obey what the Scripture says for me to do. And you get a positive cycle going. I love my wife, and it makes it easier for her to respect me. I submit to my husband, and it makes it easier for him to love me. I want to tell you, Carmen and I usually talk about decisions until we come into agreement. Neither of us demands to have our way. We say stuff like, what do you think? I don't know, what do you think? And it's not that we're indecisive. It's that we both have a respect for one another, and we appreciate each other and, and, and what the other's input. And I, I know that ultimately, many times, you know, when it comes down to it, that I'm going to have to make a decision. But God gave me a helpmate. I need help. And he gave me somebody to help me. I mean, how many of you guys think your wife is prettier than you? That's good. Now, you don't have to raise your hand on these neck two, although I know many of you could. How many of you think that your wife is smarter than you? And how many of you think that your wife is more spiritual than you? I got to help me. And I'm going to listen to her. I got to be the head of my house and I got to make decisions. But I'm telling you, I'm going to listen to this woman. And sometimes, you know, I tell Carmen, you know, I don't want you to do this or I want you to do that for safety reasons or health reasons or whatever. And you know what she always says? She says, okay. One time when we lived in Fort Worth, she says to me one night about 10 o'clock, she says, I got to go to Walmart. And that particular Walmart was terrible. And I said, you're not going over there at 10 o'clock at night. I've been in that parking lot. It's dangerous. You're not going over there. She said, but I got to have this. You know what that means. I'm either going to go to Walmart for her or I'm going with her, but I'm going to lay down my life for my wife. I'm not just going to tell her we're too bad. I'm going to get up off the chair and I'm going to do what I need to do to take care of my wife. One time we tried out as pastor at a church and at the end of the Sunday night service, Carmen's playing the piano, and I go over. I said to her, I said, Carmen, I believe the Lord wants us to come here. And she started visibly shaking. I mean, she could hardly play the piano. She says, are you sure? I said, yeah. And she never, ever argued with me about it after that because she knew that to the best of my ability, I was obeying God. And she trusted me to do that. I'm just telling you, this works when you do it right. It really does. The reason it's failed so many times is because so many people haven't really done it the way the Bible says to. They've tried to use it and abuse it in a selfish way, and it doesn't work that way. But when you do it right, it works. And Carmen, I want to tell you, she has always honored me as the head of our house. I couldn't do what I do as pastor without her respecting me and honoring me and supporting me. And, you know, next month we're going to celebrate 40 years. And I got to, yeah, praise the Lord. Amazing grace that God shows to me. Because I got to tell you, a lot of the time, I do not deserve her respect and her honor. Got lots of faults and flaws. But she honors me and respects me anyway. Because she's obeying the Lord. And I just want to tell you, you see, don't judge your husband. Don't judge your wife. You just do what you're supposed to do. And I'll tell you, it's amazing what God will do when we do that. Ladies, it's so important that you submit to your husbands and honor them, respect them. I want to read to you from Mark chapter 6 about the Lord Jesus, beginning from verse 1. It says, He went out from there and came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him, that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Is not this 
the carpent is, is not this, the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, Joseph, Jodas, and Judas, and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country, listen, among his own relatives, and in his own house. How, now, now, he could do no mighty work there, except he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them, and he marveled at them because of their unbelief. Why was there so much unbelief? Why could Jesus, listen, it didn't say he wouldn't, why couldn't Jesus do any mighty works there? Because they dishonored him. They said, we know this guy and his family. He's nobody. He's nothing special. And ladies, now this works both ways, but I, I think the bigger issue here is for a lot of ladies that you see all the, all the faults and flaws and weaknesses and wrongs of your husband, and you think, I ain't honoring him. See, when you live with somebody, you know all the, not just the good, but the bad and the ugly. But here's the thing. When you honor them, you help them reach the potential of who they can be. As long as you dishonor them, it hinders them from being able to do all that they could have done. And I think this works for both husband and wife. When you respect one another, when you honor one another, oh, it just enables them to flourish. Husband, when you love your wife, it just causes her to flourish. But there is a biblical model for us. It is Christ and his church. And it works. I've got a couple of things I want to share with you quickly before we close. A lot of people have said that the greatest thing a man can do for his children is to love their mother. But maybe the greatest thing a woman can do for her children is show respect to their father. Oh, it... it it makes a big difference. One of the most unloving things a man can do is speak to his wife in an ugly tone of voice. That's not necessarily what you say, but the way you say it. In the same way, ladies, if your husband is going the wrong way, you should say something, but say it in a way that is respectful and not demeaning. A good man, ladies, will rise to the level of honor he receives. And gentlemen, a woman will flourish when she's treated with unselfish love. Break the negative cycle. Love and honor one another. That's the biblical pattern and truth that we need to hear today. Stand with me. We're going to pray.